thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators? Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we discuss criminal cases that involve some factor of abuse. Our goal is to spread awareness of abuse that could be taking place around any of us and encourage everyone to take responsibility and report if they see a child or an adult being abused. On this show, we often discuss the importance of communication and support when trying to recover from abuse. A large part of that is therapy. But before we can be ready to jump into therapy, there's a much more difficult step to overcome, and that is finding the courage to speak up about what happened to you. So many people struggle with shame and embarrassment over things that weren't even their fault. This week, we talked to Kay, whose story really made us think about the importance of speaking up and how much it can hurt to keep things bottled up inside. Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Rosie. And I'm Ryan. And first off, we want to thank you for being here with us tonight. It's great to have you listening. We really appreciate the great people that listen to us. Also, we want to thank our newest patron this week, Crystal. Thank you, Crystal. We really appreciate your support. And if you hear something weird in the (laughs) background, it's just our little kitten burrito playing with his (laughs) chimey sleigh bell ball. (laughs) It kept me up all night last night. Anyway, I also want to thank Eli, who's been our patron for a few months, but he messaged us on Facebook a few days ago asking where he could find my music. And he had some very kind words to say about it. So thank you again, Eli. I love getting feedback on my music, and if you're listening to this and you're curious where to find it, you can ask me on any of our social media accounts, but I don't want to use this show to promote it, so I'm not going to plug it by name here. (laughs) Also, we have one more announcement. We are going to be at True Crime Podcast Festival this year in Chicago on July 13th. So if you want to meet us, (laughs) then you should probably make it to Chicago. Yeah, we'll be wandering around there, and if you do plan on going, let us know so we can be sure to meet up. So I think that's it for announcements. Uh, this week we talked to Kay, who has a very powerful story and a lot of really important things to say. But before we jump into it, we want to let you know that the audio quality isn't our normal quality because of the app that we use to do a conference call with her. Yeah, and the interview was on two separate occasions, which I edited together. So if you notice changes in quality throughout, it's because the app we used had a big difference in audio quality between the two calls for some reason, which I don't really understand, but (laughs) that's what happened. (laughs) And if this is your first time here, know that our audio quality is usually a lot better, like what you're hearing right now. Anyways, this is Kay's story. My name is Kay, and I'm originally from Indianapolis. I was born here, but I was raised in Texas, and I moved to Colorado when I was a child because my father, he was in the Army, so we moved around a lot at first. 
it was just me and my brother. My brother is my only sibling that I have. And my mother, who worked in the mortgage industry for as long as I can remember. We ended up moving back to Indianapolis after Texas. And we ended up moving pretty much like a 20, 30 minute drive from where my grandmother was. And I lived there with my grandmother, her daughter, which is my cousin. And we had two dogs and my family dog, Yogi, and my grandmother's dog, Cotton. Was it hard for you growing up with a parent who was in the army? It was rough. Mainly, it was just the moving around part. Once we got into a school and got comfortable and made a few friends or whatever, we had to move. My brother was pretty much all I had. Like, we were really close when we were kids. Yeah, when we moved back to Indianapolis and uh, we moved out from my grandmother's and we ended up moving into our new house. And I remember them getting the house built and me and my mother and my brother, we were right out there to see the progress of being, the house being built. And I remember walking through there and wasn't all the way built yet. It was going to be a neighborhood where we were going to stay a while because they were getting the house built. And I just was just happy that yeah. we settled down and actually made friends to grow up with and go to school with, you know. Right. Yeah, kind of and a new that. sense of security you didn't have before. Yeah. When we moved in, everything was nice. We lived in a cul-de-sac. It was only like my house, my next door neighbor's house, and the girl that lived across the cul-de-sac. She was mainly the girl that I hung out with. Her house was the hangout spot. Her garage, like, it was just made for kids, basically. Like, her mom didn't even park in the garage. We had a whole couch in there and toys in there. Her mom right. had, like, old workout equipment in there that we used to play on. <laughs> and mm-hmm. we just hung out in there. We met my next-door neighbor, Andre. That was the guy in the story. And um, he lived with his mother and his stepfather. His stepfather, he was really nice. Like, he always spoke to the kids, and he was just fun. But he was always drunk, but he was just always fun. (laughs) His mother was nosy. Every time we were outside, like, we just saw her in her upstairs window, peeking out the blinds and stuff. Like, we just got used to it to the point we waved at her every time we saw her. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) I mean, she was nice when you spoke to her, but she was, yeah, she was kind of weird and quiet. (laughs) And then it was Andre. He was like a freshman in high school, I think, when we first moved in. So he was like 14, 15 years old. Him and my brother, they really got along nice. They hung out together. They played basketball together. That's when the first PlayStation was out. So they used to play that all the time. I remember I had a Nintendo 64. He would come over. They played that. So they'd be in my room and stuff. My mom, she took a day job. So she got off at like six o'clock and my dad, he already worked day. So they were gone one day. This was actually the first day that I actually had to go with my brother to go hang out with Andre at his house. It was cold outside. So I know kids were out there playing. We went over there. Kristen, she wasn't home. That was a girl across the cul-de-sac because I normally would go over there. We went over to Andre's house and I remember walking in through his garage we went to his living room where he was playing his PlayStation and we were just sitting there on the couch, just chilling. The music was playing loud and, you know, the little keyboard piano things that kids play on, oh, yeah. Yeah. like yeah. create beats and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was playing on that while they were playing the game. And I remember I had to get up and use the bathroom and he 
told me the downstairs bathroom was being remodeled, so he had to use the one upstairs. And I believed him because I remember walking past that bathroom and it looked like it was being worked on. So I mm-hmm. believed him. I went to the bathroom and um, I came out and he was standing right there. And mind you, it was dark up there. I'm a small little girl. Like, mm-hmm. I'm only five feet tall as a 27-year-old woman, so you can imagine how small I was as a kid. Mm-hmm. I just played it off. Like, I just thought, like, he was just trying to scare me as I came out the bathroom or something. He did scare me, but mm-hmm. I played it off. Like, man, whatever, you ain't scared me. I try to walk past him. That didn't work. He grabbed me by my arm and pulled me back. And he pretty much pulls me by my arm into his parents' room. Mm. And I can just hear his belt clinking. Like, he was undoing his pants. So at this point, I'm asking him, like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, I keep asking that. He's not saying anything to me. Like, it's creeping me out. And uh. he still has me by the arm, so I can't go nowhere. How like, old are you again? Sorry. I'm eight. I was in the second grade. So at this point, he's making me uncomfortable. So I'm yelling for my brother. He already has his pants down at this point. So he mm-hmm. puts his hands over my mouth and muffles me as I'm trying mm-hmm. to yell for my brother. And I can hear him on the little keyboard piano thing playing off key to whatever song that was on the radio. I can't remember the song, but I just remember him playing off key to it. So that was just all I heard. That was when he raped me. And I just froze. Like, I didn't know Mm -hmm. what to do. Like, Mm -hmm. I know that it hurt. He muffled my screams. And I kept trying to yell, like, stop. Like, no. Like, what are you doing? And um, when he finished, like, I I just kind of froze up. Like, I just, I was scared. Like, I didn't cry. And, um. I remember him telling me before we left the room, you tell anybody, I will make us some stuff to get you in trouble with your parents. As an um, eight-year-old, you must have been just terrified at that point. Yeah, I was. I didn't really get in trouble like that. And I guess he saw that. I mean, like, I was always doing good in school and all that. So I think he just kind of latched on to that and just kind of used that against me. And I remember I ran out. and. I go downstairs and my brother, he didn't ask me, are you okay? He really didn't even say anything. Like he was still just kind of wrapped up into what he was doing. He was 11 at the time. And I get that he was a kid, but at the same time, you didn't pay attention to how long I was gone. You didn't. Andre was gone too. Like you didn't hear anything else but the radio and that keyboard. Like it just kind of made me feel like he wasn't there for me so I didn't really trust him either yeah that's totally understandable especially with how close that you were with your brother at the time yeah that's what made me feel like moving to the neighborhood and making friends that we're not moving away from that's what made me feel like it changed things I kind of felt like I was abandoned so I mean after it happened 
I tried to be as normal as I could. I mean, after, well, that night when I left, I ended up leaving the house. And I knew my parents' day wasn't there yet because I didn't see their cards or she didn't come over to try to come get us. So I knew they weren't, weren't there yet. So I remember punching in the code, trying to punch in the code to get into the garage and stuff. And I kept messing up because I was just trying to get in there like really quick. And I got into my room and I was just kind of just sitting there in the dark, like just in shock. I was still crying. And um, my underwear, they they felt wet. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if I peed on myself because I was kind of scared or I didn't know I didn't know what was going on. So I remember going across the hall. The bathroom was right across the hall from my room. So I went in there and I saw that it was actually blood. So freaked out. I, I went ahead and took those off and I hid them underneath a tub of Barbies that were in my closet. That's so sad. (laughs) Because I was scared that if I put them in the trash, I know how nosy my mama is. I didn't want her bringing those to me and was like, well, what is this? And that was just a conversation I wasn't really ready for. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to process that. So yeah, you didn't even know what was going on. Right. Eight years old. And it was just looking back at it, I was just I can just see how confused I was and I should have said something, but I didn't really know what it was and what was going on. I didn't really have a name to put to it. Like I didn't know I knew mm-hmm. it wasn't right. I knew it was wrong. Because the fact that he pulled me away from my brother to do it and then threatened me, that's what made me feel like it was wrong. Right. I had that instinct that it was, this was bad. And I remember how it made me feel. Bottling it in and keeping it to myself, that was my solution to it at the time. Oh, that so, must have been really weighing on you, especially as an eight-year-old. I didn't know what to talk to about it. Yeah, I didn't know how to talk to, I didn't even know how to put it in words. Like, I didn't know, how do I tell somebody this, you know? Like, how do I do that? Yeah. So, I mean, I tried to be as normal as I could going outside to play when I really didn't even want to be out there because I knew he was going to be there. And Mm -hmm. the kids in my neighborhood, we like to do a lot of stuff. Like, we played, like, a lot of different games. Like, we used to turn our cul-de-sac into a little kickball field. (laughs) (laughs) We would use each other's mailboxes as bases. It was fun, Mm -hmm. and we used to make up games. And mm-hmm. We used to play all the other games like hide and seek and truth or dare, and those were the games that were the worst to me because mm-hmm. hide and seek. Wherever I tried to hide at, you will find where I was hiding at. Like it was like our own little private game of hide and seek. He would sneak up behind me wherever I was hiding at and try to grope me. He would feel on my bottom, and I don't know what type of breast he was trying to feel on because I was flat as a surfboard but he tried to grab there too and he tried to grab like you know my lady parts and all of that he always tried to make a sick comment about my body every time we had like a water balloon fight or a water gun fight or anything like that I remember one day we were playing hide and seek and I was hiding behind 
one of my friend's houses and he found my hiding spot and he had actually jammed his hand down the front side of my pants Mm -hmm. and it hurt so bad. Like it was just so forceful when he did it. And I kind of like screamed when he did it, but he kept trying to tell me like to shut up. So I wouldn't make a sound so nobody else would notice what was going on. He would make sexual jokes towards me around the other kids, weird comments about my body. Like when he stuck his hand down the front side of my pants, he made a little comment about, ooh, somebody's grown up because I was starting to grow hair down there and all that stuff. He felt it. And mm. that's when he just made a sick comment. like, ooh, somebody's growing up. Somebody's turning into a woman. Oh, yeah. It was around all the other neighborhood kids. And, you know, like, kids, they think all that stuff is funny. Like, you know, they don't think anything negative about it. They just think he's right. just funny and he's just joking around. But it really made me feel uncomfortable and it made me feel like I was singled out around all the other neighborhood kids. My brother, he would also be around when he made those jokes. and. He wouldn't say anything. He wouldn't come to my defense like he was laughing along with all the other neighborhood kids. So that kind of made me feel like my brother was turning against me even more because he Mm -hmm. never defended me when he would try to do stuff like that. He would always try to make me his target, try to get out my clothes wet, and it would just make me feel really uncomfortable. It just made me feel like I didn't want to play anymore. It was just a bittersweet time for me. Another family that had moved in a few years down the road, she had three kids. It was a single mother. Their youngest was my age. And then it was a boy and a girl, and they were fraternal twins. I had a crush on the boy. I would try to, like, talk to him and try to, like, be friends with him and try to hang around him and stuff like that. The kids threw us, like, a little fake wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh like they would get me kind of like all dressed up trying to put like little flowers in my hair and I remember Uh Kristen the girl she had like little girly makeup like she would put like glitter on my face and all that stuff trying to make me all pretty we would pretend like we were walking down the aisle or whatever and we kissed and he was there when it happened and he used that against me as blackmail if I didn't do what he said or if I didn't tell him what color my underwear were I would tell your mom and dad that you kissed Pete. And my brother, he would use the same blackmail to get me to do his chores around the house. I felt like they were both kind of tag teaming me with the blackmail. And they would both use that as my blackmail. I was having a time of my life with my other friends where he was just like this dark cloud just lingering around, like trying to mess everything up. He would try to play it off like he didn't want to go home, like his parents, they didn't cook for him and all this other stuff. One night, we were about to get ready for bed. I had went in my room. I had already changed into my pajamas. And I had went to go to the bathroom. He was actually hiding in our shower. He hid in our shower. The bathroom was right across the hall from my bedroom. If I hadn't caught him in that shower and let my mom know right then and there, He probably would have got me while I was sleeping. I'm pretty sure of it. Scary. A couple of months after the raid, this was also after the death of my grandmother, my mother hired one of my older cousins to babysit me and my brother while they were at work. 
it didn't last long because she was basically leaving us by ourselves to go smoke and drink and hang out with her friends that lived down the street. But Mm -hmm. anyway, while she was there, and I remember one day after school, we were doing like the snowball fight and playing in the snow. And I remember he picked up this huge chunk of snow and threw it at my head. And it kind of hit me in my face and my nose started to bleed. And I remember I went to the house to go in and try to clean it up. I was going in through the garage and he was about to come through to the other side of the garage as my cousin was trying to close it. And my cousin just basically asked him, like, what are you doing? And he still wanted to hang out with my brother. So he just thought he can just come on in and just hang out with my brother inside the house. My cousin, she basically saved me that day because I can tell from the tone of her voice, like she kind of felt uncomfortable with me. Mm-hmm. And she was like, no, you need to go home. Like, you're not allowed to be over here. And you can't just walk up in here like that. And he looked at me and he just turned around and walked away. He would be outside around like, I mean, all the other kids hung out with him, thought he was funny and cool to hang out with because he was older. So when he tried to act normal around me and talk to me normal and be nice, I would get in an attitude with him, like just kind of brush him off, like, leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. The other kids saw that as, what's wrong with you? All he said was, hi, how you doing? So they kind of shamed me for that because they didn't know what was going on. It's got to be frustrating. It is. It is. Because it's like you want to tell somebody what's going on, but then at the same time, you don't think they're going to believe you or you just don't think that they're going to get where you're coming from. And with Mm -hmm. them being kids too, they're not really going to understand. They made the kids kind of not like me when I was a kid too. So, Kay, how often would you say since the start of your abuse, how often did you see him on a day-to-day basis and how often were you abused? I would say 85 to 90 percent of the time. Wow. Uh, well, you can't, this sounds like you kind of saw him almost every day. Yeah. yeah. And you guys are playing. It was almost every day because, I mean, he, looking back, I noticed how I only seen him hang out with somebody his age one time. That's the only time I can remember. He's four plus years older than everybody else out there. So it's like Uh. he always hung around kids. I became that kid that had an attitude problem. Like going outside, it it wasn't fun for me anymore. Uh. Doing normal stuff as a kid. Like, just going outside and just exercising, just going around, just doing what I want to do and ride my bike. I can't even do that without you asking me what color my underwear are every day. Mm. Yeah, it's such an unnatural experience for a kid to have. And like you said, it's like a dark cloud that hangs over you, even though you don't understand why you're so upset. It's still sucking the joy out of your life. Yeah, it, it really did. It really did. Whenever he can get me alone, I can just hear his voice now. Like, he would just say, what color? And he mm-hmm. said it, like, in this low voice, and like, meaning, like, what color is your underwear today? Mm-hmm. And he would make me tell him, because he would threaten me again if I didn't. So a lot of it seems like he was just, like, hungry for control over somebody else. Pretty much, yeah. I really didn't know how to process it, and it really did turn into anger. Mm-hmm. I do admit that I did have like an attitude problem towards the other kids because I didn't know how to react to it. 
another girl that was around the same age as me. We bumped heads a lot. She always tried to like fight me and we were always arguing and stuff like that. And um, I had a cousin that she's like five months older than me. I'd try to go over there, hang out over there and spend the night on the weekends and stuff. But then it was like, I had to go back home at some point. I had to go back to school. So I had to go back home. But what really messed me up, it was like a month later after the rape, my grandmother died on Christmas morning. And she passed away of emphysema. She's um, been sickly pretty much as long as we've been back in Indianapolis. That was pretty much the reason why we moved back. On the way from the funeral going to the cemetery, the barrier, it was a song playing on the radio. And I don't know if anybody else does this, but like I associate memories with music. I can remember like just certain stuff based off of an old song that I heard at that time. I don't know, like it just reminded me of him. And to this day, like I cannot stand the song. Like it just, mm-hmm. I can't do it. And my grandmother, her death, it really messed me up too because I would go and hang out with her a lot too. We were really close. Yeah. Yeah. She was. She was the one that got me into going to church. We would, I would sit there and sit there with her and watch her stories. Like she liked the bold and the beautiful. And, but I remember just sitting there, just watching her stories with her, Mm -hmm. just talking with her and just painting toenails and stuff like that. Like I was really Mm -hmm. close with her. So it Mm -hmm. really messed me up too. Yeah. Yeah. That made me even more angry on top of what was going on at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how old were you? I was still eight years old when she passed. Oh wow! So okay. yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah that that was just one year, uh. and over time, I mean, the same stuff continued. When I would go outside, he would try to mess with me, either try to touch me, or he would ask me what color I was wearing. When my brother, I remember when he was going to summer school one year. I think I was ten at the time. My mother and my father. They let me stay at home by myself. They felt like I was okay to stay home by myself now that I was 10. I didn't have to go to summer school because my grades were okay. I was on the honor roll. And back then, they had this thing where if you didn't have good grades, you had to go to summer school to make that up. And my brother, he was kind of the opposite of me. He would always leave to go to summer school around 8 o'clock in the morning. After he left, my mother would leave. My dad would already be gone. He leaves at like 6 o'clock in the morning. He literally watches everybody leave my house. Because mind you, he lives next door to me. Mm -hmm. He watches everybody that leaves my house. And then here he comes on my front doorstep knocking on my door. He knows I'm in there by myself. He would just start knocking on the door. I would normally be in the living room watching my cartoons. And every time he would come, I remember putting the TV on mute and tiptoeing around the house to close the blinds. Mm -hmm. Because my mom, she had this thing where she always opens the blinds before she leaves the house. So I would tiptoe around the house, close all the blinds. The reason why I had to close all of the blinds around the house when I didn't answer the door, he would walk around the house and knock. And then bang angrily, like open the door. He's banging on every window of the house. 
he's banging on my mom and my dad's window. He knocks on the kitchen window. He knocks on the back door. He knocks on my bedroom door. And he knocks on my brother's door. And then he'll just start banging. Like, just really just trying to rattle me. So Mm -hmm. creepy. Yeah, it is. And I can just remember just sitting there just crying, curled up in a ball on the living room couch, like, waiting for him to go away. Literally terrorizing you and your home alone. Yeah. Yeah. My brother, he was supposed to come home at 12 o'clock noon. And we only lived, like, across the street from the school. Like, mm-hmm. he would show up at home at, like, 3, almost 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So I'm basically there, like, the whole entire day, scared to come out of the house. My mom, she would yell at me when she got home because I didn't check the mailbox because I was scared to go outside because of him. Mm-hmm. It was just little stuff like that that, I don't know, like, I was just paranoid of doing. Yeah, completely um, understandable. I'm 27 years old today, y'all. And I am terrified of being by myself. Yeah. Who can blame you? Because that's like stalking, you know? Today, I come home from work. And if I'm there by myself, I'm literally turning on every light in the house. I'm Mm -hmm. checking every bathroom. I'm checking under every bed. I'm checking every single room, including the garage. And I'm checking to see if every door and every window is locked. Every time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now it and is so, probably a good habit to have. <laughs> but also a yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, it is. But mm-hmm. I have to do it because, like, I really have that paranoid feeling, like, this gut feeling that somebody is watching me. Would you yeah. say it's almost like, like I don't, OCD? A compulsion more than a... I feel like it is. Yeah. I haven't really been diagnosed with that, but... I feel like yeah. it is, but it's what I have to do to feel comfortable by myself. And I live in an old house right now, so it makes noises because the house settled. Mm-hmm. But like, even that creeps me out. So sometimes mm-hmm. I'll end up just leaving again until somebody is home. He so, has literally ruined that luxury of coming home and letting down my hair after a mm-hmm. long day of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just like the little stuff like that. That I see that he's messed up for me. Mm -hmm. So this was like two weeks before we actually moved out of the house. And I remember we were outside and we were actually in Kristen's garage hanging out. We were sitting on the couch and it was me, him and Kristen. And it was another girl that was there with us. And I remember he, he had a little comment towards me because I always hugged Kristen's mother whenever I saw her. Because she was, like, my second mother. I was always at her house spending the night. And I don't know, like, I was just really close to her and her mother. And he made a comment saying, wow, you hug her mom more than you hug your own mother. And being that the attitude that I had with all the kids, I shot back at him. And I was like, you know what? Whoever I hug is none of your effing business. And you know how kids are. They cuss when their parents ain't around and all that. (laughs) And those were my exact words. So he went to say something else, and this is when I realized that I kind of had a temper, and my attitude was, like, really getting worse, because he went to say something else, and I did not let him finish it. Like, I just jumped up off the couch, and I pushed him up against the wall. I don't know what I was going to do, but I kind of snapped out of it when I had him against the wall. Wow. And uh, mm-hmm. my, bro- my mother, 
she was in the driveway, in our driveway across the cul-de-sac. So she kind of saw everything that was going on. And uh, she came mm. over there asking what was going on. And they pretty much told on me, told them, told her what I said. And mm-hmm. it was like, and you know, like every embarrassing moment with your parents, it seems like everybody is around <laughs> to catch it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so like when they told on me, she slapped me so hard. Like oh. it was just so loud in front of everybody. Oh. And told me to go in the house or whatever. So I go in the house. And um, of course, I was upset that she embarrassed me like that. But at the same time, I was kind of happy that she put me on punishment because that meant that I didn't have to go outside. I didn't have to deal with him. So I was cool to be by myself. It was messed wow. up how I tried to get that to happen. But mm-hmm. yeah, normal happy. kids are not trying to get in trouble or happy that they are. Yeah. So, yeah, it shows yeah. how something was wrong, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, they had no idea why you were so frustrated. It was all building up over time and then you kind of snap and it makes sense to you because you know what's going on, but no one else understands and that had to be tough. Yeah. And it's like you're just trying to be as normal as you can as a kid and knowing all this stuff that's going on. It's hard. It's pretty much like I've been wearing a mask to everybody around me, my family, my friends. Like, I have to put on this mask every day and pretend that everything's okay when it's not. Mm -hmm. And this is also the reason why I never really had a lot of slumber parties. Like, I didn't really have a lot of friends over from school. Because I did have a lot of girl friends that I hung out with at school. But I was scared that if I invite them over, he was going to try the same thing with them or worse he was gonna do what he's been doing to me in front of them so Mm -hmm. I didn't want to bring them into that circle that I was dealing with and also I met my best friend around this time and she I still talk to her to this day and she does not know any of it I can't even bring myself to tell her because I met her when all this stuff was going on Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, she was just kind of like a positive light in my life. Like, when I was around her, everything was cool. We were joking, laughing. She made my day. Like, she was mm-hmm. just somebody I was happy to be around. So, I don't know, like, I just never could bring myself to tell her. Well, thank you for talking to us about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, no problem. it's nice to see that you've made progress since then, even though... It was such a struggle seeing you progress to a point where you're able to talk about it openly. It's really inspiring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of victims think that talking about it is going to bring back a lot of like memories and bad memories, which it does. And they think that it's going to bring like a lot of negative emotion, which it does, too. But to me, talking about it, that's how I get through it. Yeah. Like I noticed that with my counselor and with you guys, I feel better when I talk about it. Oh, that's like, awesome. This is my way. Yeah, this, this is my way of getting over it. Rosie had the same experience when she shared her story. At first, yeah. she had a rough time, but then the more she talked yeah. about it, the easier it got. What, yeah. Is that how you felt, Rosie? I think it's different for everybody because after I did my interview, I did feel pretty low for like a week. And then I felt a lot better. You know, it's just, it's a little different for everybody, but overall, I think it it is a healing thing to get your story out of your head. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just to voice it. So tell us about, if you don't mind, how your abuse ended. Did you end up telling anybody about what happened to you? It gradually stopped. 
it still continued. Like, if I went outside to talk to my other friends, like, he would continue, like, the stuff he wanted to do. And um, I remember when I got to sixth grade, when I turned 12, my last day of school was also the day we moved out of that house. So I was happy because I was getting away from him. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was upset because I was leaving all of my friends, my school. I just made the cheerleading squad and now I have to move. Uh Like, (laughs) like I was just upset because of that. Mm -hmm. But he's what made the move worth it. Mm -hmm. So that's how my abuse ended. Well, did you ever end up telling anybody Any of your family members? Years and years later. It wasn't intentionally, but I had like a little journal that I was writing in. And I wrote some stuff down about it because it was on my mind. Yeah. And I left in a hurry that day. I didn't realize I left it out. And my mother read it. Oh, she is nosy. (laughs) Yeah, she is. She is very nosy. (laughs) So I remember that day I'm hanging out with my friends and I get this text from her saying, is there something you need to tell me? Mm -hmm. I'm saying here like, what? So when I get home, she tells me what she saw. And she was crying and she was just telling me that she was sorry. And uh, But mm-hmm. she doesn't want to know the details of what happened. Oh. And yeah, that's what I can't understand. Yeah, that would be hard. It's, yeah. Then you still feel like you have no one to talk to. Yeah. I have mixed feelings towards it because I get, well, I'm not a parent, but I get probably as a parent, you wouldn't want to hear that. And then you will feel guilt of letting that happen and not noticing. Yeah. So I'm thinking that's what it is. I'm I'm not sure. But at the same time, my mom is like my best friend. Like I talk to her about a lot of stuff. And for her to tell me that she doesn't want to hear what exactly happened, it kind of hurts me. Yeah. Yeah. I totally understand that. I'm very close to my dad. Like I'm a daddy's girl. He always tells me he would kill a rock for me. (laughs) And Andre is that rock. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's even told me that he does not mind going to prison for dealing with him. And it's wow. very heartbreaking to hear that from your own father. Yeah. Because he he will never be worth me losing my family over. Yeah. He will never be worth me losing that. Mm-hmm. And that wouldn't really make anything better. If, not at all. You know. I mean, because I, I would never wish death on anybody, not even right. him. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind, too. I have gotten my revenge in my head for almost 20 years. Like, I picture myself beating him. I picture myself <laughs> slapping him. I've been picturing that, like, for 20 years. So in my head, I've already gotten my revenge. <laughs> and for me, mm-hmm. coming out about it and talking about it and actually getting over it, going to counseling and healing, that is my revenge. Because that's yeah. pretty much like letting me know that, yeah, you're not going to hold this over my head for the rest of my life. Like, you mm-hmm. are nothing to me anymore you're not going to control my head anymore yeah yeah you saying that is a really clear you know people who listen to this will be able to see that you're healing the best revenge is a life well lived the best way to get back at someone is to be the best person you can be and not let what they did to you drag you down in your case in a lot of people's cases it almost made them a better person because you learn empathy and you learn how to get past something that could have made you fall and never get up, but you made it past it and it made you stronger in the long run, you know? Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, I think you said that pretty well, Ryan. 
And I know that my brother, I lost a lot of trust with him when all this stuff was going on. Even after we moved out of that house, it's still like some things that he did that made me feel like that I still can't trust him. He stole my money from me. And I remember when we were in high school, I was going to summer school to get some classes out of the way. I was just starting high school. I was a freshman. The bus stop that we had to go to, it was actually like a 20-minute walk away from where we lived at. But with him, he would catch a ride with one of his friends that had a car. So then he would still leave me by myself to make that 20-minute walk by myself. He didn't really think about my well-being or my safety. He didn't care. And I remember one day, I got him back one day because I actually followed him and his friend to the friend's car and I acted like I was on get in with him or whatever. His friend was like, wait, who are you? What are you doing? Like, he didn't even know that my brother had a sister. I explained to him, I was like, well, I'm his little sister and I just need a ride home. I was wondering if I can just ride with you guys. Like, I was nice about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Eventually, he gave me a ride, so I rode rode home with my brother. You know, my brother made me apologize to his friend for asking for a ride home. Really? Yeah, he made me apologize. Wow. Because he felt like I was, I guess, embarrassing him, and I just kind of came out of nowhere and just kind of forced that ride on him, which I kind of did, and I do kind of feel bad about that, but... Come on, man. Like, I am your little sister. You are supposed to be looking after me. You're supposed to at least care about my safety, too. Well, yeah, that's kind of the responsibility of an older sibling. Yeah. Take care of the younger siblings. Still to this day, I just feel like he does little things like that that still makes me feel like I can't trust him. And that's why I still have this love and hate relationship with my brother. He really doesn't know. Mm -hmm. And then, like, when you try to confront him about it, he'll act like it never happened. Mm. He'll act like you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. And whatever, I'm getting over this. He'll just basically make you feel like you're crazy for even bringing it up. Mm. So I find talking to him about these situations, it doesn't help at all. I love him to death. That's my only brother. It's my only sibling. But it's like, I still have that resentment towards him. Sure. Like, he wasn't there for me when I was a kid. He knows Mm -hmm. part of the story. He knows what my mother knows. Mm -hmm. So he knows that he was there when the rape happened. And I'm guessing that's why he doesn't want to know the story either. Because he feels, nope, he doesn't. And Mm -hmm. I feel like he doesn't want to know it either because he feels that guilt because he was right there when it happened. Mm -hmm. So it's the same with him. I have mixed feelings with that. Yeah, well, it does strain your relationship when you feel like you, you know, you've got something to say and you can't say it. Yeah, yep. especially with your family. Like, you can yeah. talk to us about it, but there's something special about being able to open up to your family, and it's really tough when you can't. Exactly. And my father, I'm kind of scared to tell him because he knows what my mom and my brother know, but he doesn't know anything else either because he has PTSD from being in the war when I was a kid. So he's going through his own thing right now. So that's why I don't want to really talk to him about it. Mm -hmm. So it it still kind of messes me up that I can't tell my family. I can't talk to them. Yeah. So I do find that comfort in you guys like that's why I thank you guys so much for what you guys are doing with this podcast because I'm serious because it is so many people out here that are just so ignorant to what girls like little girls and women go through sometimes Mm -hmm. and 
you see it with the celebrities like Bill Cosby and R. Kelly. Like, mm-hmm. you see it with them. Like, they're victims. Like, you see all these people out here saying, well, they lying. Why they take so long for them to come out? Not Like, just pretty much just bashing them and victim blaming them mm-hmm. when they don't know yeah. that emotional hell that they went through all those years that they kept it bottled in. Right. Yeah. And at the same time, they're kind of answering their own question because this is why people exactly. judge and shame them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it always seems like people who don't go through abuse, they always know the answers, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> For us exactly. people that have. Yeah. That's why I had to get off of Facebook because... Um, <laughs> Um, because I laugh because I'm also not on Facebook <laughs> except for you know me and Ryan's page, but I felt yeah. the same way. I was like, can't do this. <laughs> I had to actually delete. Like, well, I had to get off of Facebook. Like, I had to stop mm-hmm. everything because it was when the Bill Cosby trial was going on, and my own cousin was on there. It's a guy. He was on there, like calling the victims out of their names. Like these bees are lying. Like. They wait all these years to come out. Like, they just want some money. Like, just really mm. just bashing yeah. them. Yeah. And it angered me. Mm-hmm. And I commented on his on his post, and I pretty much just told him, like, you really sound ignorant right now. Like, you have no right to tell these women that they are lying, and they just want money, and you do not know what they have gone through. And mm-hmm. you, do not, you yeah. don't know how many years of counseling, how much, how many years of emotional abuse like beating themselves up about it and guilt like you don't know what they go through mm-hmm. at all there is women out here killing themselves over stuff that they keep bottled in and for you right. to say that it really hurts and yeah. i get it because there are some women out here that do lie to get people locked up or get back at a boyfriend that they mad at or whatever there are women out here that do lie about rape and i mm-hmm. get that but there is actually women out here and little girls that are suffering in silence because of how you act. Mm-hmm. I, that's why I feel like telling my story is really important because I know that there is a little girl out there going through the same thing I did. Mm-hmm. And she cannot suffer in silence because I am starting to see all the negative effects of keeping that bottled in for most of my life. Mm-hmm. It is nothing that I want for anybody. I'm trying to get help now. I am. I have started counseling, like in the past six months. Mm-hmm. And um, just, is that helping you? It is. It is okay. because I finally have that outlet to mm-hmm. talk to somebody and tell yeah. somebody how I really feel. Because everyday life, my friends, my family, whoever else, they see me as this happy-go-lucky, goofy person that just likes to laugh all the time. That's mm-hmm. all they see. They don't see how much I'm hurt inside. They don't see that I'm I'm breaking down. They don't see what I go through. Mm-hmm. They don't. So counseling, it really does help. Oh, yes. I very much agree with you on that. It's amazing how a third party person who, you, you know, you've never met before can be your biggest coach in life. They can help you so much, even though they, they don't know your backstory. They just know what you tell them. Yeah. yeah. I'm really glad that you're getting help. Sometimes that can be the hardest step for a victim is realizing that they need somebody else to talk to about it. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that you had the courage to come on the show and and share your story with us and with whoever else is going to listen to it really shows that you have been making progress since Mm -hmm. 
Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, there are other girls out there that are going through the same situation that you did. So I think that you sharing your story is definitely going to help a lot of people out there. Yeah. Yeah. And we just want you to know how much we appreciate it because we know it's not easy. And to anyone else that's listening, just know that it takes a lot of courage to come on here and, and share a story like this and mm-hmm. be appreciative that people are willing to do it. Yeah. Because I mean, like you said, you don't want other little girls that are holding something like this inside to wait so long and start seeing the negative effects when it's too late, you know? Yeah. So yeah. we really appreciate that. Thank you. It's yeah. No problem at all. And the more therapy you get, the better you'll feel. I promise. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a while. I'm not going to lie. Like, I have tried making other commitments that did not fall through. So <laughs> this is definitely something I'm going to stick to because I do see progress with Good. how I deal with things, how I deal with my anger. Mm-hmm. Did it take you a while start- to find your, your person or was it right away you clicked? Well, the therapist that I'm going to now, I found her rather quick because I did try to go to therapy like years before, but I wasn't really serious about it. She rubbed me the wrong way the first therapist did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that happened to me too. (laughs) Yeah. So I didn't Mm -hmm. really like her. And then she tried to put me on these antidepressants. And Mm -hmm. I feel like if I'm going to try to heal from something like this, I don't want to be drugged up to do it. Like, I want to be able to do this sober. Yeah. And as or at least myself. try to you know? do it sober first. Yeah. So, like, I tried the antidepressant, but yeah, no, they did not work because mm-hmm. I was at the dinner table with my mom and my dad and my brother, and I'm just sitting there crying for no reason. And they, my mom just sitting there asking me, like, what's wrong? I'm sitting there crying, like, I don't know. Like, no. Aww. I don't yeah. need these antidepressants make me feel like that. So, yeah, I, I'm i just trying to get through this. Just me, by myself. Mm-hmm. No drugs. None of that. Mm-hmm. So, Good I, don't, for you. I don't need to be medicated to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely different for everybody. You know, I personally, I tried. Well, I didn't go on medication for a very long time. And then I tried. And the same thing as you. I just, I hated the way it made me feel. I also mm-hmm. got locked off. And it was just weird. <laughs> so yeah. I ended up tossing mine out too. And it's just different for everybody, you know. Nobody. Yeah, like the same. It, it just yeah. made me feel like I was just out of it most of the time. Like it made me really sleepy, and mm-hmm. like I don't know. Like I was just going through my day in a fog. I didn't like it at all. And good for you for realizing that and actually making a change. Because I mean, when you can try to do therapy without medication and see if that helps you, I feel like that's way more effective because you're actually making an active change in your life. Yeah. And plus, I don't want to become dependent on like any type of drugs, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to have to keep taking them. Like, I don't know if anybody gets addicted to antidepressants. I don't know. People get addicted to everything. Yeah. I don't want to be that kind of case either. Can form a mental addiction to anything. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm the same way. I don't want to have to be dependent on some chemical to survive. But at the same time, some conditions need medication. So we're not trying to minimize that. But, right. Yeah. But if you can do it without medication, then... You might as well give it a shot. Yeah, that's awesome that you try it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your story, Kay. We really, really appreciate it. Do you have any other things that you want to say? Any advice for other people that 
that will be listening? If you know anybody that is going through any type of abuse, or if you are an abuse victim yourself, please do not keep it to yourself. If it's still going on, go to the police, get some type of help when it is safe. But if it has been years since it's been going on, please do not keep it bottled in. It is emotionally a lot to for one person to keep in. It -hmm. is really a burden to keep for so much time. Get help when you can and stop keeping stuff in and stop being silent about it. Stop suffering in silence. I'm glad you said that. That's kind of what we want to say with this show, you know, is sharing other stories to help encourage people to not feel scared to talk about this stuff and to get the help they need. Like when Rosie shared her story too, that was our goal was mm-hmm. like you said, yeah. just encouraging other people to come out. And so mm-hmm. I think that's great advice. And also if they've never came to the police about it or don't feel comfortable about it, don't feel guilty about it mm-hmm. because that's another obstacle I've had to come over. Like I've had so much guilt that I didn't come forward, that I've kept Mm -hmm. it in. Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt like it was kind of my fault because I never said anything to anybody. Mm -hmm. So don't don't feel guilty. You had your reasons of keeping it bottled in, but I don't condone it, but I'm pretty sure you've had your reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But just getting help is better late than never. Right, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So do it for yourself. Get help for yourself. Don't just not get help just because somebody told you, oh, you, why are you waiting this long to come out about it? No, don't listen to them. Get help for yourself. Thank you so much, Kay, for being willing to share your story on here and having the desire to want to help other people with it. It's really inspiring to us, and I'm sure it will be to our listeners as well. Yes. If you have any words you'd like us to pass on to Kay about how her interview impacted you, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or email us at vovpodcast at gmail.com. And also we want to mention that you can support us on Patreon at mm-hmm. patreon.com slash vovpodcast. And you can get some cool stuff from us there. And you can also get some bonus episodes. We have two Available right now on Henry Lee Lucas and Jared Fogel, the subway guy. (laughs) And we have one coming up later this month. Also, we have a little bit of cat news because we're a little concerned about Zook, our oldest cat, who's not really that old. He's only like, what, five or six? No, that's how old he was when we got him. He's like eight or nine now. (laughs) Oh, cats never age in my mind. Anyway... He's been limping for a couple of weeks now, so we finally made him an appointment, and hopefully he Well, don't just... sit. No, he started limping right before we left for our trip, so we decided that people who were watching the cats could keep an eye on him until we got back. We mm. didn't just let him limp forever. Yeah. Well, now we're back, and we still noticed it, and that was the earliest vet visit we could get. Anyways, the point <laughs> is that we're taking him to the vet tomorrow, and hopefully it's nothing... Um, too serious, but we're a little worried because last time we took a cat in for, well, it was actually Rosie's old cat, Cheeto, and... Frito? No, Cheeto. Oh, that? The last time we took a cat in because of a paw. My parents did, but yeah. Yeah. Rosie's mom took him in. Turned out he had feline cancer, so... 
but we're hoping hoping for the best and that he is just He's sore just... because of a sliver because he was scratching our really old chest anyway yeah we'll keep you updated on that for the people cat people out there that are interested <laughs> and um thank you again for listening and we'll talk to you next week all right bye <laughs>